Hello and welcome to National League Town, Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Hey, Jeff. We're still on a break from the show. That's why we're not talking about the Yankees series or any other recent games. We recorded two extra episodes for you during the All-Star break. On today's show, we ask the question, what makes a good baseball fan? Now, we're not here to fan shame anyone. There isn't one right way to be a Mets fan. If you want to go to a game or two during the season to sit with your buds while you're wearing your Mets gear but are not engaged with the team daily, that's fine. You do you. You're saving yourself the angst and agony that we're experiencing this season. What we're talking about are the tools that a good fan has, the qualities and the attributes of a good fan. We hear about five tool players, hitting for average, hitting for power, speed, fielding, throwing. But what makes a five tool fan? These are our opinions, and we haven't gone over these in advance, so there might be some overlap. Greg, you start. Yeah, five tools of fandom. We want players to be five tool players. Well, let's put the onus on ourselves a little bit. What are our tools? I'd sit and think about it a little bit. I'm going to take my my big swing right off the top here. My biggest tool, I'm not saying I'm the biggest tool, (laughs) my biggest tool, granular memory. And I think I've displayed that on this podcast. I displayed in anything I've written. I've displayed if you've sat next to me. And I really try to kind of condense a few different tools or qualities. But listen, I've been at this for 55 years as a fan. And I'm one of those people, for whatever reason, who has a Velcro memory for a lot of things. And the reason I put granular in there is it's not so much that I remember, hey, the Mets won a World Series in 1986 and that they finished last in 1979. I'm pretty lucky or cursed, depending on the uh, the year in question or the event in question, to be able to tell you or at least to feel for myself and hopefully be able to communicate it if, if that's what I'm trying to do. What it was like that week of September 1979 where the Mets were on 99 losses and every day you were just hoping they wouldn't lose number 100 and they went out and they won six in a row at the end of the year and you know what informed those emotions and what it was like watching the team at that moment versus earlier in the year versus the next year it's just never been enough for me to say yeah this is just like fill in the blank year of some year that you know wasn't good i don't feel i'm doing my job as a fan if i don't remember it as specifically as possible maybe I don't remember every single box score. I don't remember whether Doug Flynn went one for four or one for three and got on by a walk or something like that. I guess it's a sensory thing in addition to remembering dates or statistics or records and things like that. I I think when we were starting to talk about this as a topic, I want to talk about, you know, what makes us the fans we are? What tools do we bring to our fandom, to each other, to people we talk to? Granular memory is my number one. And when I start to lose it, you'll know I've, I've started to lose my mind, probably, if I can't tell you about the Mets in this year or some other year. I'm going to go with devotion and loyalty. And I think this is more of a New York thing than I've experienced since I've moved outside of New York. But I know that there are people who say, I like them both. 
the Mets and the Yankees. Pick a side. You always see somebody when the Mets play the Yankees and they have a half a hat with the Yankee logo and a half a hat with the Mets logo. Throw that away. Either you're a Mets fan or you're a Yankees fan. If you want to be a Yankees fan, it's a bad decision, but you've made your decision. At least you've made a decision. You're a Mets fan. We're with you. You're true to the orange and blue in sickness and in health. Be true to one team. Root for one team. Don't waver depending on the standings. Root for your team. Be loyal. I have a version of that, so I'll go to that one next. My phrase for it was tenacious longevity. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the concept of devotion and loyalty, depending on, on how one executes it or practices it, is almost baked into what we do. But I, I appreciate that you've, in your life, especially for, far from New York, kind of doubled down on it. Maybe it wouldn't mean as much to you if you if you were able to grasp it every single day. And again, we live in a different age now where perhaps geography isn't the, the be-all and end-all, that you don't take it for granted. For me, the, the tenaciousness or the tenacity, I believe is the, the phrase I might want here, is what makes the longevity work. Because I can say I've been a fan of this basketball team or that football team for more than 50 years, and that's great, and I feel the affinity. But the fact that I want to be a Mets fan, that I want to be identified as a Mets fan, that I want to identify myself as a Mets fan, I mean, my, my pronouns are Mets. You know what I'm saying? And it's the tenacity. It's it's the insistence that this is who I am. That once in a great while, sometimes in seasons like 2023, I have to remind myself to pull back a little bit so, so as not to drive myself crazy. And that's what makes the longevity worth it for me. That what ma- makes me feel I've been there. I think back to 1996, which it wasn't a very good Mets year. And New Yorkers and baseball fans might recognize 1996. You you mentioned them. Uh, That was the year the Yankees began what is considered their dynasty, their most recent one. I loved the Mets and wasn't going to stop loving the Mets. It might have been the only time in my life, maybe because I was working in Manhattan and was surrounded by, what do you know, Yankee fans. Like, oh, you're not a Yankee fan? How come... I mean, I wrote for the Yankees. You, you seem like a sensible person, <laughs> that sort of thing. And it just made me want to be a Mets fan more. Again, Mets weren't doing anything. This was the second half of that year. It was a little like 2023. We went into that year with real expectations. We'd played well in 1995. And... It fell apart and the Yankees, to their credit, got it together. And it just, it had no, not that I really stopped to think about it, but it had no attraction to me, no appeal to me. It wasn't about, I want to root for a winner. And I can definitely understand when people kind of brought in to a moment. I mean, I'm sure I've gotten more excited by certain teams that I don't follow on a super daily basis being good rather than being blah. But I I think that was the period where I realized it doesn't matter, which is bad when you you tell, because it's kind of transmitting the vibes. Maybe that's why the Wilpons turned out to be the owners they were, because, hey, we got Greg for the rest of his life. It doesn't really matter how good we are. But, you know, that at, at that point, I was already, you know, more than 25 years a Mets fan. So th- th- there is just a, a tenacity, I think, to my fandom as well. The longevity kind of speaks for itself. So your version is devotion and loyalty. Mine is tenacious longevity. Uh, I, th- I think we're well equipped with, with that tool, both of us. Great pick. For my second, I'm going to go with knowledge. Be aware. You don't have to know the difference between Grant Hartwig and Jeff Brigham, but know who's on the team. Know who the manager is, for better or for worse. 
Don't go to a game and go, where's J.D. Davis? You need to know something about your team. Again, you don't have to know the granular details and the way Greg and I and you, our listeners, might know, but you need to know certain things. Know the basics. Be aware. Again, if you just want to go to a game and have a beer, that's fine. But I think a tool of a good fan is having knowledge of his team or her team or their team. You? Have a beer. That's absolutely a fine idea. Knowledge is great. And the thirst for knowledge, just like the thirst for beer, to me is just as important. So I'm going to say my third tool here is I will refer to it as bottomless curiosity. I know a lot about the Mets. I'm not going to pretend I don't. I want to know more. I always want to know more. I don't feel I know enough about the Mets. I have lots of resources at my fingertips, great websites, great follows on social media, that sort of thing. And I keep dozens of charts and tables and lists. I'm constantly trying to add to my knowledge. I think it's sort of a a combination of being both mature enough to know I don't know everything there is to know and a childlike wonder that there's always more to know. And sometimes I get mad at myself for not having known something before. One of the things I've encountered doing this show, because we want to pay our respects when a Met passes away, is I need to know more about these Mets from 1962 and 1966. My excuse I wasn't born in 1962. I was a few years old in 1966 and wasn't a fan yet. And honestly, that's no excuse. I like digging in to players I didn't see. I like digging into statistics. I'm not a sabermetric type by nature, but I welcome data. I don't know why certain players do certain things, but I like to listen and I like to find out. And I'm always going to want to know more. And being able to tell somebody, I bet you didn't know this is kind of fun, but somebody actually bringing me a piece of new information that I had no idea about is so much more satisfying. So I am curious blue and orange. Let's put it that way. I remember we had an episode where I mentioned Lee Mazzilli was the first player in World Series history to have pinch hits from both sides of the plate. This, of course, in 86. And you weren't aware of that. And I was shocked that you weren't, but you embraced learning something new, as we all should. And that certainly doesn't happen very often with my friend and partner here. My third trait would be empathy, a topic that we've covered on this show. Hopefully, I'll empathize more with the Mets as individuals. Instead of going, what the heck's wrong with Jeff McNeil? Does he play too much golf? Did all that money go to his head? I've thought those things. But I've also tried to think maybe something else is going on in his life. Maybe the pressure of the contract I wish I had that pressure, but maybe that pressure has weighed on him. Maybe the pressure of living up to the expectations of being the batting champion is weighing on him. So I've tried to think about that. So I think a good fan can be empathetic. Well, I'm, I'm all for empathy toward the ball players, toward, toward all of us. And I, I try to kind of fold that into a, a tool we will call hopefully humble spirituality. Empathy is a part of that. A sense of, and I don't know how much stock I put in it for real, a sense of karma that you never cheer an injury on the other team, not only because it's kind of a rotten thing to do, but hey, it's good luck with your roster now. A sense of, of humanity that we're all people here. We're all just trying to do our best, whether we're talking about our fellow players, our fellow fans. Superstition. I'm going to be honest, I'm a little superstitious. I'm one of those people who probably wouldn't use the phrase perfect game if a Mets was, Met was working on a perfect game. 
regardless that I know that we don't live in the dark ages, uh, I'm very big on not looking ahead in a game, not saying, okay, after the, after the last out, I'm, you know, where this thing's in the bag, you know, if it's 12 to one and we're winning and it's the ninth inning, there's two out, maybe. But just altogether, I, I guess there's a spiritual nature to baseball, not not to go all Annie Savoy on you. And I, I, I get out of ba- I get the spirituality out of baseball. I don't really get out of anything else in my life. And that would include organized religion. And, and I'm not saying that to kind of be one of those people who says, oh, baseball's like church, many go few understand. It's, it's, it's really not one of those cliche type of things. This, this is where I put my heart all year, not just 710 or 640 or whenever a game might start. This is sort of how I feel this is almost how I execute my humanity in the course of my life is through baseball and through my love of the Mets. I suppose trying to be a decent human being, uh, which, you know, again, brings empathy into it. You know, when we did our empathy show, somebody mentioned to me, they listened to it and they weren't buying it because they said, I I don't get time off if I'm feeling depressed. Like uh, we mentioned a player who had his union protects him and he has uh, in his contract or whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm sorry for you if if that's the case. I'm sorry if you're dealing with things, but I'm not going to take it out on a major league player. I'm not saying we, we have to feel endlessly sorry for people who are being paid very well to play a game, but let's all be human toward each other. I would like to hope, again, maybe it's a little aspirational, but I, I think just the way I go about my life as a fan, I, I think it's in my toolbox. So hopefully humble spirituality would be a tool for me. One of the topics you mentioned was my fourth, so we do have an overlap there, and that's have your thing, have your unique attributes, superstition. If you touch your head three times, whatever, have your thing. I think that's part of being a good fan. It makes you unique. You know, don't don't elbow me as you're reaching to touch your head. Uh, You can do whatever you want. I understand. You know, uh, one of our listeners, uh, my friend Kevin, told me once, how he was aghast. He was at the Johan no-hitter. It's the going into the ninth, and somebody just suddenly shows up in his row who hasn't been there for eight innings. And he's thinking, how could you do this? How could you mess with the forces that are at work here tonight? And then he said, then I thought, maybe this is what the guy does. Maybe this is somebody who, in a situation like this, knows that he has to sit in this seat, which, again, is, is incredible humanity and empathy on Kevin's part. I don't know that I would be able to look outside myself. This might be at odds with superstition, but I'm going to give myself credit for one more tool here, a flexible grip on reality. I'd like to believe I can keep it keep it real, let's say, whether the Mets are doing well or not doing well. Understand that, okay, they've won seven of nine. They're not going to keep winning seven of nine forever. Conversely, if they've lost seven of nine, not, trying not to treat it as the end of the world, trying not to frame whoever went 0 for 4 today and yesterday as a war criminal or even just a bad ball player. And I find myself tested by this all the time. There are players in a given year I have just decided that I will put in quotes, I hate that guy. I wish he wasn't here. I don't like myself (laughs) like that. I still say it. You know, I'd like to think I can make choices. Gee, I think the Mets would be better off if so-and-so weren't on the team. But maybe that guy is just he's having a bad day, having a bad month, and maybe it's just not a good fit. Or maybe he's not that good a player, but I shouldn't expend that much energy on disliking him. And conversely, even though I'm way beyond an age of putting posters on my bedroom wall, I'm guilty of idolatry. <laughs> Idolized players. I want to believe that, oh my God, we've got the best power hitter ever. we got the best pitcher ever. And 
I mean, that's part of the fun of identifying with your team, but kind of remind yourself that it's an above average player and a thing you like, and together they're doing their best and maybe they'll be good this year and they're showing signs of being good. Yay. Or they're showing signs of not being good. What perhaps can be done to fix it or maybe next year the sense of why is this guy here get a better guy i try to understand i think i'm pretty good understanding that it just doesn't just happen because i wish it to happen i might still wish it to happen but i'm willing for the most part in a given season to play the cards i'm dealt by the team that they put out there i mean i love every element of a 26 man roster but those are those are by necessity my guys and i gotta stick with them the last one I wrote down consistency. You're a Mets fan. You're a Mets fan. This is, doesn't mean converting to being a Yankees fan because they're in the World Series and the Mets aren't, but root for them all season. You like Pete Alonso. You like Pete Alonso, whether he's hit his 55th home run, or whether he's just waved at another breaking ball outside the strike zone for the third time in a game. He's your guy. This is your team. You root for them. And this is a hard year for us because they're not playing as well as we expected. But you're still a Mets fan, so be consistent and root for the Mets through good times and bad, even if times are bad as they are now. Yeah, I uh, you know, root for the Mets. Don't always root for every Met to be a Met forever. The night they traded Eduardo Escobar, player I liked, my thought was, A, who did they get? B, can they get rid of anybody else? It was just one of those nights, one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those years. And I probably would have woken up the next morning and said, what do you mean they traded seven more guys? I didn't think you would take me seriously, fate. But, you know, the Mets part goes without saying. I, I think the, the, the phrase I never like to hear, and I don't care if you're a Jets fan or a Giants fan or a fan of a team outside of New York, oh, at least it'll be football season soon. I can't wait for something else to replace baseball. I mean, don't tell me that. We, we couldn't you're, wait for this season. Yeah, and we can't wait for every season, even the lousy seasons that we know are going to be lousy. The whole how many days to pitchers and catchers and all of that stuff. You know, you sign up for 162. And now if you want to say, I can't take it anymore, that's your prerogative. You don't have to put in for nine innings, 162 days and nights a year. Don't act like you've come to some great revelation. That is anathema to me. I have to be honest. I, I will try to be empathetic toward your sense of survival and if you can't bring yourself to watch thursday night's game because oh my god wednesday night's game was terrible and if you're one of those people somebody recently said to me oh i didn't read what you wrote about yesterday's game because i only read it when they win because you just seen too many losses and i'm like i understand i understand if, if you're not shopping for more heartache or more more analysis of heartache or whatever it is and again, it was just something that came up in conversation. But it says, yeah, that, that's a little bugaboo when, when people just say, I can't wait for this season to be over, slash, I can't wait for something to replace the Mets and can't wait for baseball to be replaced in my daily thoughts. Because you know what? You get one summer a year and climate change notwithstanding, it's summer. Don't wish it away. It'll be cold and dark soon enough. A week ago, Thursday, the Mets had played Milwaukee and they had a terrible loss. And I was aggravated. And I said, I'm so sick of this. I can't watch them anymore. And that lasted until 7 p.m. the next day. I'm a little less excited on a daily basis. I'm not going to kid you. <laughs> a little less 
oh my God, how many hours to first pitch, which is really my internal clock most years. I've said before, you know, off days usually, I don't know, depress me is too strong a word, but there's always a void. And this year, it feels like a bit of a recusal. Uh, I get to recuse myself from being a Mets fan for a few hours and do something else, watch something else. But but it's because I know it's coming back the next night or know it's coming back after the all-star break. We want to reach into that toolbox. We want to enhance the toolbox. Do you have a uh, do, you have, do you have a tool you wish you could put in there? I hate to cite Cardinals fans as an exemplar of good behavior because they're called the greatest fans in baseball, and I think that's so obnoxious. But I'll give you one attribute that I admire in them, and it, it's come from sitting amongst them at spring training especially at Roger Dean, which is their spring home. But they travel so well in the spring. It's half Cardinals fans when they play at Port St. Lucie. And the attribute that I'd like to see is how welcoming they are to new players. They love their new players. Welcome to the family. Welcome. We love you. Come on. We're with you. And I would sit there and go, oh, shut up. Just get drink your Budweiser because they all drink Budweisers and stop it. And then I once I thought, that's nice. It's nice that they're welcoming. In New York, we want to say you got to prove you can make it here. Just because you made it there doesn't mean you can make it here. So we always say you got to prove it, or at least we think that momentarily. Maybe we should be more welcoming. Yeah, we want to know what you will do for us lately. And we will embrace you. Uh, we will remember you until the next at bat. And you know, again, what, one of the blessings of granularity is remembering that even those players who, oh my God, what a uh, what a blight on Mets baseball he was. I do remember that. I remember a fun thing about Vince Coleman as a Met. I remember he helped Tim Tuffle work on his stolen base game. And Tim Tuffle had a big steal to help set up a win. And afterwards, he's talking to reporters and said, oh, it's me. My buddy Vince here gave me some tips. And Vince is smiling and saying, I can't tell you what it was. It's a trade secret. And I'm like, that was the only time I ever felt good about Vince Coleman, a former Cardinal, more of a Cardinal than a Met, certainly. And if you can find something nice to say about Vince Coleman, you're doing something right as a fan. I don't know how to steal bases. And I don't know how to do a lot of things that go into making players good. And I think the one tool I admire in others, I will call it technical expertise. And as somebody who's watched baseball as much as I have and is certainly able to generate an opinion about what should happen next, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Specifically, pitching. I've, I've sat with fans Friends of mine will say, what do you think? You should go to the slider here. I always think, I don't know. He should get him out. He should throw a strike past the batter. And as much as I love pitching and I love pitchers, and I, you know, my idol was Tom Seaver, and my next idol was Dwight Gooden. And although I wouldn't call him my idol, I loved Jacob DeGrom and identified with that sort of met as the ideal, a homegrown starting pitching ace and can get all kinds of emotions from watching good pitching and frustrated by bad pitching, I don't know what the hell they're going to throw next unless somebody tells me. And so when I'm asked, what do you think here? Break Breaking pitch here? I'm like, Matt, how do you even know that? And you know, every time that they broach this in the SNY booth and say Ron Darling takes out a baseball and he's showing a grip and it could have been when back when Tom Seaver would, would do games and he'd talk about a grip and two seam versus four seam, I glaze over. I say I want to know this, but I really just, there's something in me that does not have the patience. Maybe it's because I'm not a mechanical person. I'm just like, do what you think is best. Be aware of the situation. Don't throw a bad pitch. Throw a good pitch. 
throw a good pitch that the hitter can hit. And I, I'm really kind of shallow when it comes to that. And I could probably say the same things about other aspects of the game. But it always comes back to, here's the grip. And I'm always amazed, like, wow, I never threw a baseball like that. I never, maybe I would have been okay at it if I had known that. Nobody ever showed me. All the curiosity that I alluded to earlier, I don't really have that curiosity. I admire it. I love that people care enough to know that even if they're not in the game, but it just eludes me and I'd, I'd probably be a little better equipped as a fan, maybe as a, a communicator. If I could say, yeah, he really had to throw the sinker there and instead he, he threw the fastball What a mistake. Just, just throw good pitches, okay? So what trait would you like to get rid of? I would call it situational stagnation as much as... I claim to have a granular memory of that time Vince Coleman wasn't the worst person ever, that sort of thing. Or for that matter, that time that Dwight Gooden did not have a good start in 1985. <laughs> I sometimes get stuck in my perceptions. And I guess it's a, that, that, that's a little at odds with what I was saying about trying to uh, have a flexible grip on reality. But sometimes I, I just kind of decided that we, we've all decided what we think of a personality. I mean, why would we want to talk about firing Buck Showalter? Don't we all love Buck Showalter? Weren't we just having kudos for hiring Buck Showalter? And I, I don't want to just make it about Buck Showalter. Walter, isn't City Field a great place? Well, it's not as great as you think it is. Isn't City Field like kind of a disappointment? It's not as disappointing as you think it is. So a, a desire maybe to not just decide that things are set. I, I'm the type of person, if I haven't seen you in three years, and the last time I saw you, you had a cold. I would be thinking that for three years, you've been walking around the cold, you poor bastard. And there was no people change. Situations change, and sometimes my perceptions stagnate. And sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't make a difference. I mean, to me, if I'm not advocating for this, but let's just say that Matt Harvey got the itch to come back, and somehow he got in touch with the Mets, and the Mets gave him a minor league contract. Would I be able to look at Matt Harvey with fresh eyes and say it's a clean slate? No, not really. I would probably remember it was all kind of going to hell in 2018. Again, I, I can step back and say, wow, those great days, 2013 Harvey Day. But I'd be like, well, I didn't really like the way Matt Harvey ended things in 2018. Why would I want to start? But maybe he's changed. And again, this is that was just an example off the top of my head. I'd like to be able to roll the changes a little better in general. And maybe that speaks to issues beyond baseball. So I would say I, I would I would try to not be as stagnant in my perceptions of things going on. Like that REO Speedwagon reference there, roll with the changes. REO Speedwagon played a post-game concert in 2012, and it was a lot of fun. And I remember there was just this, we all have to be sarcastic about REO Speedwagon playing after a Mets game vibe going around in the 2012 version of social media. And I'm thinking, it's a free concert by a group that's had a lot of hits, a lot of catchy songs. If you don't like them, don't stay, don't come. So I wasn't even going for that. But thank you for bringing back that granular memory. It's a good show. They have a Las Vegas residency. People keep on loving REO Speedwagon. It, is it a residency or is it an REO residency? Oh, nice. <laughs> One trait that I like to get rid of from myself is the immediate hot take. Take a pause. You're not an ESPN multimillionaire, the few that are left there. You don't have to spout your opinion as soon as you think it. Pete Alonso's washed up. No, he's not. Take a break. 
I know that I had a controversial to some opinion when I said a few weeks ago that Buck should be fired. And I did a special commentary about it. I didn't take that lightly. I thought about that for days. It weighed on me because of the responsibility of saying something like that. I didn't just tweet it. You don't have to tweet right away or whatever social media platform you use. You don't have to give your opinion right away. Think about it and not just for a New York minute. The game is shorter than ever. So uh, time flies that much faster. So it's always nice to take a breath, take a pause, decide, is this really something I, I need to express? And good things don't happen this inning. Maybe they'll happen next inning. Good things don't happen today. Maybe they'll happen tomorrow. But again, we're, we're devoted. We're loyal. We're tenacious. We're, uh, we're here for the long haul. So, you know, the, the great thing about uh, taking a moment to recognize these hopefully qualities about ourselves, these elements of our rooting personality, and also, you know, where we might fall short in our own estimation, it all jumbles together in the course of a game and in the course of a season. And hopefully we're a little better for it. Listen, there are some people, and I don't like to use some people. It always sounds like I'm, I'm setting up a straw man, but you know, I, I do know that there are people who just like, I'm watching the Mets, I'm having a nice time, leave me alone. Why are you talking to me about this? Again, getting back to the issue of spirituality and humanity and all, all that highfalutin stuff, that's what makes baseball worthwhile to me. I think if it was just another entertainment, another leisure activity, or if it was just another thing I had to do, it wouldn't mean as much. And you know, again, I, I like the tool concept because we demand players who are, are just talented as well as productive. I mean, we, we look at players who come up from AAA kind of on the edge not not so much the the youngsters but the guys who've been around and we wait for them to be that injection of life and when they go over three what the hell are they doing here why, why would you even use him i guess again as, as we go along in our lives and we've both been at life uh quite a while as well as at at nets you learn not everything happens the way you want it to happen right away and if you have any control over it and can make yourself better why wouldn't you and you have, except for your superstitions, which are very important to maintain, you have no control over what the Mets are going to do. But the important thing is, you think you do. So follow that news. Just don't hurt anybody on your way to to the, the special row in the ninth inning of the no-hitter. Don't screw it up for the guy who doesn't want to move. Let's put it that way. Since we're talking about rock bands, you said Tenacious Granularity before. That was the first name of Jack Black's rock band. Did you know that? Uh, Tenacious Granularity D. Ario <laughs> is a real rock band. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Jack Black, a fine comedic actor. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. What did we leave out? We're not saying it was an exhaustive list, but what did we leave out? Nationalleaguetown at gmail.com. We thank you for listening. So until next week, I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm Greg Prince. And as always, let's go Mets. Copyright 2023 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Spotify. Grant Hartwig and Jeff Brigham. No, no, Ann and Brigham. Like Brigham Young. Have a beer.